Welcome to the Crater Podcast, a weekly show where we discuss all the JavaScript news that's happened on Crater.io this week. This episode is for Friday, September 16th, 2016. This episode is brought to you by Modulus.io. They're an easy way to deploy your application no matter the language or framework that you're using. They are great for deploying JavaScript applications using technologies such as Node.js, Meteor.js, Feathers.js, and many other frameworks. They recently updated their build process for Meteor to include uploading the code to a build server. They use a Docker component to create the build and output a consistent application that gets sent to the servos making it more reliable and easier for you to deploy your Meteor application. Check them out, modulus.io. Hey there, just wanted to take a quick second to tell you about something that's coming up in November, Space Camp 2.0. So last year we ran Space Camp 1.0 in Gatlinburg, Tennessee in the mountains. It was a lot of fun. And so this year we decided we wanted to go bigger. And it took some searching, but we found an even bigger place It has 30 bedrooms, and it's on the coast of North Carolina in Outer Banks. Super, super excited for this. We're going to follow a similar format to last year. So the first day, we're going to have talks, and it's going to be the open camp style of like, you know, everyone just kind of saying, hey, I've got a talk, and we'll pick the best ones, and then we'll we'll sit down and listen to those. They were great last year. I'm expecting some some top-notch ones again this year. We also have like home-cooked meals the entire time. My wife is an excellent, excellent cook, and she's going to make all those meals. And I think anyone that went last year would attest to how tasty everything was and how much food there was. It was amazing, and uh, we plan to replicate that this year. Talks during the day, then in the evenings... Beer, board games, a lot of hanging out, talking, watching funny videos, all kinds of stuff. So if board games are your thing, this is definitely the event to come to. I may even try to bring the PS4 or something. We'll see how that works out. The car was pretty packed last year, so I don't know how much space there will be. But if you're interested, it's like the first week in November right after the election. So that weekend, the second day, we'll have... A hackathon contest where we'll be building fun things using JavaScript. So if you're a fan of JavaScript, like this is the event you want to be at. So check it out, camp.spacedojo.com. It will be an amazing time. I promise you. See you there. Welcome, Crater fans. I'm your host, Josh Owens, along with my special guest co-host, Ben Duguid. Welcome, Ben. Not to be confused with Ben Strahan. Oh, yes. The new Ben. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like a new hope, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think we even have the same birthday. Do you really? Funny. I think so. His is November 10th. Ah, uh, that sounds right-ish. You should come to space camp. So, Ben yeah. Strahan just signed up for space camp. Ramsey's- I saw that. Birthday is also that same weekend. I think Abby's is like right around there too. Like the oh wow! Thing. So just all the birthdays. That's funny. Speaking of 
birthdays. No, I don't think it's a birthday, but <laughs> we're going to talk a lot about GraphQL. Maybe it's yes. its official first birthday. Yeah. Like it's launching. It's one. Coming out of technical preview. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk about GitHub and their GraphQL API. We're going to talk about subscriptions with GraphQL. Mm. And one of these things is not like the other. We're talking about Blaze. (laughs) Good old Blaze. Yep. We'll actually start with the Blaze story. It looks like it's getting some new life breathed into it. And so if you check out the show notes, they actually have a website dedicated to it now, blazejs.org. They actually tried this effort once before, but it seems like maybe they're they're doing a, a better job of it this time around. Back prior to Meteor 1.0, so if you're not familiar with it, Blaze is the default kind of rendering front-end framework that comes with Meteor. You can obviously switch it to React or you can switch it to, what's the other one that no one uses? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. We'll use it. Blaze has gone through this weird tumultuous life since, um, I guess, almost a year ago. Like, people were asking, what the heck's going on? Like, pull requests are sitting. Like, nothing seems to be happening. And then there was a focus on supporting React and Angular as official, like, easy-to-add front-end frameworks. And then I think the community just kept pushing, and finally, Meteor came out and said, listen, we're just not going to be able to work on this. Like, we think React and Angular are probably ready to go. I think that made a lot of people sad because it it still is like a solid front end framework. Like it has some performance issues that can be fixed and maybe it's missing a few things that could be short up, but it still, it works really well. And I think if we, you know, work on it and try to develop some good, solid best practices around it, it could still be something, something strong in the, system that's what's happening now like they've decided we're going to turn this over to the community to work on like it's not something we can keep pushing forward based on this website like it it looks clean good documentation uh kind of covers a lot of what's what's going on uh how to use it i think a lot of this was just information that was scattered elsewhere and they've just brought it together into this it's a website now. And they talk a lot about the future work that they would like to get done. And uh, I, I don't know, like, this is exciting to see. But I also wonder if it's maybe too little too late. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think if you're I mean, if you're a fan of Blaze, and this is pretty huge, this is pretty cool. I know that they broke it out into its own repo too, along with this, because it's always been under same just media repo, which is, again, I think one of the reasons it was hard to contribute to in the past, hard to get PRs in because they have to test everything. And in 1.4, which just came out, they, the version of Meteor is not specifically tied to core packages, right? Yeah, they've unpinned it. So now you can, yeah. you can upgrade independently, like to different versions of packages, core packages. Yeah. So yeah, this, this now becomes easier to say, you know, I want to use Blaze. 2.0 rather than 1.4 or whatever. Like I think exactly. a lot of them were being kept in lockstep number wise. And it's like, it's, it's a weird thing now, right? Because now we've, we've got to maybe rely a little more on good testing, automated testing of the package to ensure that we're, we're shipping solid releases. 
Like I'm still kind of weird about the whole unpinning thing, but I, I, I get the advantage right. of it potentially dangerous because it's not super well tested. Um, I mean, I think the NPM ecosystem or NPM community has been doing this for, for a while and it works. I think when Meteor started, it was really opinionated. Again, they had Blaze. They had the full stack way to do it. There was the Meteor way. And of lately, it seems like they're just less opinionation. And if you want opinionation, then you go to the guide. But it's not necessarily a framework built entirely on opinionation, which I think yeah, it differs in that. So if you, if you want less opinionation, then it makes sense to have them un- unpinned. But it's an interesting, it's an interesting trade-off. It is. Uh, but I think, you know, the fact that I can use React is keeping me perhaps in the, the Meteor ecosystem still, you know, because I understand that I can get uh, a solid kind of structure on a front end with good performance and like a solid team of five, six people that are, are just focused on pushing that forward. And that's super interesting to me. And so I'm glad that those opinions are there and we can swap those out now. And I think that's, that's just the way that frameworks tend to go. Like you, you look at rails and even now, like you can easily switch to a different kind of view compilers and stuff like that. Like, like I, I remember going through this with rails and stuff like active relation and that kind of stuff. And so as long as you adhere to this, abstraction library that they've created, then all of a sudden you can use a lot of the ORM niceties that they've built with different databases and all kinds of interesting things going on. And I think that's, that's kind of what we're, what we're seeing here. I'm excited to see what comes of it, but at this point, like, I don't think I have anything. I think I have two sites left in Blaze, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited for the people because I know there are a bunch of Blaze fans and over the, the way this, the whole Blaze situation has turned out, it, you know, it's not not so fun, but I'm I'm excited that now there's it seems there's some community momentum and the people that like Blaze can drive it forward. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. And there's yeah. a you know if you're a fan, there was a poll. Uh, I wonder if I can find it here, but it was on the forums and it was about maybe the state of Blaze or something like that. And uh, I think Max Savin posted it. Yeah, he's a big Blaze fan. Yes, indeed he is, and he just put out a new router for blaze as well anyway like it was interesting to see the results there were more people voting for blaze than i think i realized yeah here it is 279 votes 56 percent of the people said they still use blaze wow 29 percent said they would not go back and 15 percent said they would go back uh, which was kind of an interesting result. Like I, yeah, I definitely fall into the the twenty nine percent. I think like I would rather maybe learn something like Vue rather than go back to Blaze. I love Angular. I mean React. I'm stuck in React land right now. It's uh, well, the project I'm currently working on is Angular, which is why it's on your brain. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I really like React. I think it's a it's more explicit. Kind of more focused than Blaze. Blaze did a lot of magic under the covers uh, when I first started learning it. That it just totally threw me off. But and it is a different. It's Blaze is more HTML centric, where React, you know, everything's in JavaScript. It's more JavaScript centric, and uh, I think I like that more. But yeah, I also like that you can pass, you know, a, a prop that's actually a function, and you can yeah. pass it down, and it can do things. I think that offers a ton of flexibility. I've tried other patterns like that with Blaze. They just don't end up being as clean. Like passing along a reactive R and then having a 
a method that's watching that and reacting to it uh, gets a little weird, a little funky. Yeah. I think it's cleaner just to see, hey, here's this method and this is where it's getting passed from rather than having to hunt for that code. I'm excited for this. And, and hopefully we can see something like this happen for the account system as well because I think there's there's still some amount, like I've, I've definitely started a conversation on an issue and there's a pull request to kind of get blaze out of the accounts system. If you install accounts, Facebook or accounts, Twitter, you end up getting the entire blaze stack for that little configuration screen that they have. And I'm yeah. like, I don't even want the configuration screen. So just for giving me blaze, it's, you're bloating my <laughs> crater JavaScript size. Anyway, yeah. Which is already kind of big, but yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm interested to see what happens for 1.5 as well. Um, I think the future of Blaze looks good now, or better, which is which is cool. Yeah, yeah. So now they just have to get it on npm, and I think this thing could have a potential life of its own. Yeah, second time's a charm. Speaking but. of uh, new life, new life. Tell us, tell us about GraphQL subscriptions. GraphQL subscriptions. So if you haven't been paying attention, Meteor has been working a lot on, or MDG has been working a lot on Apollo lately, which is a GraphQL client and server. There's a server side too. So they just came out with subscriptions, which again, if you're familiar with Meteor is, is very similar kind of conceptually, at least from the client's perspective, how you've been using Meteor because you Simply, you know, you ask for your, your query and you tag it with a subscription query instead of a GraphQL query. And whenever those data changes based on other outside events, you get the record that changed or records that changed, which is pretty cool. And again, it's, it's very similar to how Meteor worked in the past. But yes, this time they're doing it with Apollo and GraphQL, which, which I'm a huge fan of GraphQL for a lot of different reasons. But this is really cool. I'm really excited to see this. Now, something, because I know Apollo can be kind of, or at least maybe I'm the, maybe I'm the only one, but they talk about Apollo, and really there's two sides to Apollo, because there's Apollo Client, which should work with any GraphQL server, GraphQL spec compliant server, I guess, which should be most of them. And then there's Apollo List Server, which is an NPM package for your server side. So in order to get subscriptions to work, you have to use, have to use both pretty much. Now, they have another package that's um, subscription, I had it right here. Subscription transport WS? Yes. So they're just using WebSockets in order to actually transport the data back and forth, which is really interesting. But the project I work on this past summer did something very similar, just using WebSockets. I I think you don't need, like, WebSockets are really not that hard. Um, They're pretty straightforward, which is cool. But essentially, the pattern is you fire your subscription from the client. So you in your query, say, okay, I want all of the users, um, and I want to subscribe to them. So if a user gets added or changed, info on a user changes, I want to then get that results, and then I have a function that simply handles any changes. And if you're using React, it can be really simple because it's just, okay, re-render everything mm-hmm. with the new data. And then the diffing algorithm figures out the optimal way to change things, and it's pretty cool. So you fire, so going back, you fire the, the query from the client, which gets hit by this server-side component, which is, okay, uh, essentially, we now know that this client is subscribed to this. So whenever we get an event saying that they're subscribed to, in this case, the users changes, then we're simply going to give them the new data. So somebody else on another client changes their username or signs up and adds a user. 
that event, so added user or user modified, one of those is going to get triggered and it's going to get hit the point of the server that's listening uh, for changes and then it's going to notify all of the connected clients, I guess, or subscribed clients, I should say. And it's a pretty cool pattern. It's, uh, I know that internally Apollo client is using Redux to kind of do a lot of this on the front end where let's say you have two components that both have um, like a comment list. And in one of them, I update a component or I update a comment that should immediately get reflected in the other comment list, let's say, assuming they're the same source of data. And so it does that by using Redux events internally to kind of say, okay, comment list changed and then goes and updates whatever needs to get updated. And that's pretty cool. And I think they're, they're essentially using a very similar pattern to that on the server side, um, which is really just kind of goes back to event sourcing and uh, a common way of listening for events. And they, in the article, they talk about uh, using channels and, I'm not sure exactly what implementation-wise they're using, if that's something like RabbitMQ or some kind of queuing service. It's pretty cool. And I know Facebook has talked about this, and they say, you know, MDG said uh, they're trying to mimic what Facebook is doing in regards to the subscription to make it scalable. Because I think that's the other kind of piece that you run into when you start to do WebSocket stuff is sometimes it's not as, I guess, intuitive to scale. You can't always simply just horizontally scale, which kind of would be the easy way of scaling. Okay, we'll just throw most, more servers at it because sockets have to be connected. Um, and again, if you paid attention to Meteor, you've known about this because the whole sticky session thing. So it's interesting. But I think they're, they're scaling it down in a sense where I think Meteor before, again, with sticky sessions, they were trying to only send you the data that had changed where this or Apollo uh, subscriptions, it seems like they're sending you just everything when something changes, they're sending everything. And so they're doing a little bit less monitoring of exactly what changed and just pushing the data to you. What are your thoughts? I think it's, you know, it's early. Like hopefully they'll, they'll figure out some kind of diffing. Uh, so you're, you're just getting the changes rather than the entire results set. This is the number one question you saw for the longest time when people would join the Apollo Slack chat. They'd be like, is it real time yet? And yeah, I, st- I still maintain I am building an entire application for a client and I don't need real time. Just don't, you know, and I, I question how much you really need real time in any particular application. And I think this gives you the flexibility when you do have that need that you can easily add it. And uh, they did mention as well that uh, there's a package that uses Redis. So there's a Redis pub subdriver basically that would allow you, like if you're going to go to production, they suggest using that. I think this is super interesting and, you know, they've, they've broken it up in such a way that, you know, they've got the GraphQL subscriptions library, which comes with the pub sub driver and the subscription manager. And then on the front end, you know, they've got the, the Apollo client working with Redux and you can make the subscribe call and then you get the updates. And so like, they're breaking it apart in such a way that you, you could really use any GraphQL server that you wanted on the back end and still kind of participate and use Apollo client on the front end side and gain this functionality. So I, I like the way they're doing it and I'm pretty excited to see it. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool. So one of the things we did at work was we had the kind of a full stack Redux setup. So we were using Redux on the front end with React like normally people do. Mm-hmm. But on the back end, we went full on um, just event sourcing everywhere. So we had a different microservices, which each had their own Redux store. And we were just using RabbitMQ to fire events back and forth. 
which made it really easy. We had, we had set it up at one time to have like a WebSocket like microservice, which just monitored whenever any client joined a specific socket room, which is just something you can do in Socket.io. Mm-hmm. And the, the microservice would just listen to all of the events coming across the queue. And if there was any that pertained to a specific room, it would just fire it to whatever connected clients were in the room. We hadn't, you know, used Apollo server at the time we were using GraphQL, but I think that, you know, this system seems relatively easy to plug into yeah. um, if we were using something like that, which I think is really exciting because I think, you know, past Meteor was not always the easiest to kind of plug directly into, but. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely a fan of small libraries that offer easy integrations, right? Because like someone else could take one of these sides of the implementation and integrate it in. And I think that the adoption rate can be much higher. And maybe we see this become more officially like part of the spec for subscriptions. And uh, I'm glad to see MDGs kind of leading the way here with that. Yeah. Speaking of uh, big leaps and leading the way, I was kind of interested to see that GitHub totally just implemented a GraphQL API. I think maybe this is the part that a lot of people don't get is like GraphQL sounds interesting, but I don't, I don't always fully understand the benefits I'm going to gain from it. And, you know, for me, I worked on a team for GoDaddy and like they were building an application, uh, GoDaddy bookkeeping, and we were rebuilding the mobile app it wasn't easy to do because like it turns out people were just building little bits of API here and there all over the application. And there was no real thought or rhyme or reason kind of put into how it all functioned and how the communication would happen and what are the return results look like. And the front end backbone application was relying on that data to come back. And so, you know, we were trying to figure out like, ah, we got to do some versioning and, you know, we're going to have to like rebuild all this in a different way. And like GraphQL, I think would have made that way more interesting and forces that thought to happen, I guess, up front, if you're going to use it. You know, the, the thing is like, you, you stop caring about versioning. You just care about like the data you need. You tell the server the data you need and give it some stuff that it can search off of and it'll return you that data in the format you want. This is really, really interesting to see GitHub offering this up and they're, you know, they're, they're consuming the GraphQL API to build the actual site. So when you hit like the comments, they added the um, emoji reactions on comments and that's what started them down the path of, hey, let's try GraphQL. Here's maybe the sentence I found most interesting is we found implementing a GraphQL server to be very straightforward. The spec is clearly written and succinctly describes the behaviors of the various parts of the schema. Okay. And so they're using relay. I didn't quite read all this part, but yeah, I know this is super exciting to me. You know, they're, they're using GraphQL Ruby to kind of handle the, the backend and uh, they've got a GraphQL client now. Yeah. It's like a Ruby specific kind of integrated to Rails, GraphQL, backed views. Pretty interesting. Yeah. And they also have this GitHub GraphQL library now. Yeah, they, they have a client built for Rails, which I guess is one, one of the things that they use along with Relay. Yeah. So it allows you to easily define queries in, in Ruby here. To me, it's exciting to see a big player in the Ruby community make this move. This may be 
validates the fact that MDG is, is making the switch. And I think as a business, it's a smart switch for them. Maybe as a consumer of media, it feels weird for them to make that switch. But I, I really do think in the next you know, three, five years, REST will be replaced with GraphQL. And I think it's a smart choice, right? I'm just making mm-hmm. one call to one URL and you're giving me back the data I need. Like, that's always been annoying when, when you, like, I build a Twitter app and you'd be like, okay, I need this data. And then you get that back and you're like, wow, I, I need a little different data. And so then you have to go make a second call. And then yeah. at a certain point, you're going to start hitting like rate limits and all that kind of stuff. And so it's, it's much, much better to be able to just say like, here's the data I need you send it back. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm, I'm definitely really excited about this because I think GraphQL solves a lot of pain points with scaling. I know you talked about versioning. Well, Facebook, who kind of came up with, with GraphQL, they have, I think the number was around 2,000 versions in production of across all of their different apps at once, Yeah, which is kind of completely absurd if you were going to go the versioning route because anytime your backend API changed, you end up with V3, V... 2000. Um, and that's just really difficult to maintain. And, I, and I've heard people claim that if you, people at Facebook say, uh, if you pull out your old, um, I guess, iPhone 4, maybe it was even iPhone 3G and power up Facebook, like it would still work, which is that's, pretty that's crazy. I think that comes down to like a people problem, a resource problem. Like when you start having that versioning, you actually have to make sure that those teams are like communicating constantly to deal with that. And I think you're right. Like it becomes interesting because all I'm saying is like, here's a piece of data. Here's how you resolve this piece of data. I can choose completely independent of like you as a consumer, how I'm going to scale that and like rewrite a resolver. Like, Oh crap, my SQL is no longer going to work. We're going to like switch this thing to Cassandra or, Oh my gosh. Like it turns out Postgres was, terrible for uh building graphs and so we're gonna gonna switch to neo 4j because that that just makes sense and like you can totally make that switch independent of any consumer on the front end which maybe wasn't always the case before yeah i think and i think from the client perspective graphql is like the dream because i just ask for whatever i want and and i can even have you know graphical you have this amazing almost ide for graphql which which again, like once you use it, it's like, wow, why didn't we have anything like this before? My analogy is if you've ever done like SQL development and then just try doing SQL from the command line, that's <laughs> almost what REST is. And then you go use something like uh, Microsoft SQL Server Management Studio or one of those SQL server clients that's like, you were like, wow, this is really powerful. Yeah. Introspective queries that GraphQL can give you where they just say, okay, you know, if you hit the Facebook schema, you can just go browse through the docs and they're just generated for you. Like that's super powerful pattern, especially when your schema is as big as, you know, Facebook's is. Mm, yeah. Um, sure. It's pretty cool. So tell us about the technical preview. So GraphQL is leaving technical preview. They're now production ready, even though they've been production ready. <laughs> Which I always think is funny. When it's like a rubber stamp. <laughs> yeah. It's official now. No, but this is really exciting. They, the GraphQL.org got a, a facelift. It looks different now, which is cool. So the docs got some improvements. But yeah, they're 1.0. And, and this is part of just how Facebook believes about you know, their beliefs on open source and how they use open source. They only want to open source things that you know, they're using in production and solves their problems, which I think is really cool. I think this being released at the same time that you see kind of the biggest, you know, GitHub is probably one of the, the best 
known like REST examples. Um, if you look at REST, it's like, all right, GitHub's the go-to example because they did a really great job mm-hmm. um, implementing REST. And, and now they've moved on to GraphQL because they think GraphQL is better. I think it says a lot. At the same time, GraphQL says, this is it. Like, this works. This is official. We're out of public beta, which I think is really exciting. Here's to the future. I know there's subscriptions. They're talking about adding to the spec. They have been talking about for a while, um, along with batching. And there's another one. I don't know if they said it in this article. Anyway, it's just kind of more performance things from the server. But I'm really excited about GraphQL. Um, a Meteor and Apollo are obviously, they're backing GraphQL. And I think you're right. I think we'll see GraphQL take over REST in the next three to five years. Yeah, so definitely. Not, think, yeah. There's just too many big players that are moving to this. And I think it's like we're going to see better clients that are easier to, to kind of ingest data into your application. And that's going to like rapidly increase the growth of this behemoth there have been other attempts too. like you look at what is it hypermedia and stuff like that those were interesting and they tried to like build upon the idea of rest it, it was probably better to just take a step back and say let's try a completely different angle i think it's much stronger looking at this announcement and github's announcement maybe they were <laughs> coordinated yeah. a little bit i wouldn't be surprised yeah that's not a bad thing i think it's good to see like these teams that are passionate about it or using it, like they are communicating and talking and like seeing GitHub talk to Facebook or a team at Facebook about it. And like, I know MDGs had conversations with um, the GraphQL team as well. And like they're mm-hmm. running the conference now, MDG is, and like a lot of the, the bigger players are going to be coming in and speaking at that conference in San Francisco. I think we're, we're seeing something strong being built here. It's going to become something amazing down the road where's the future stuff at i didn't actually see it in the post was it not in the post maybe i'm all over the place when it comes to graphql so i may have picked that up somewhere else but (laughs) yeah i i love the new site like they've got some animated gifs kind of going on showing you how everything's working i love the little we got like literal cloud servers like you know someone's sending a query up and then (laughs) coming back and kind of gives you an idea like that's the most succinct picture of how this thing works that I've ever seen. It's true. And I love it. I love how it's all Star Wars examples too. And you know, I gotta say like, you're right. Like uh, graphical just feels like a really great tool and they're out there already. Right. Like I, I can use RoboMongo or Mongo chef or something like that. Um, but it's, it's like, it's right there in your browser, easy to use and ready to go and uh, put out by the people that are kind of creating the specs. But even still stuff like Mongo, RoboMongo and that stuff, that's just like database side. That doesn't tell you anything about the endpoints you're actually changing. So, mm. I mean, Postman, I think, is the closest thing to graph, graphical. And I think that Postman, like, you, know, you can predefine a lot of stuff. But if stuff changes, then, like, Postman is just broken because it's not introspective. I don't know if you've ever heard of Falcor, which is what Netflix uses, which is similar to GraphQL. I think the biggest difference and Jafar Hussein who talks at a bunch of conferences and stuff is really cool. Really good speaker. He gave a talk, I think at a react Europe that was GraphQL versus Falcor mm-hmm. and kind of the, one of the biggest differences Falcor is great. If your, your schema is not that complicated. So like at Netflix, they had around 20 entities, like it's just really not that complex where Facebook, 
I want to say they had like 4,000 entities, 4,000 properties across all their different, mm. you know, graphs or nodes and objects. Um, so I think that a, a real type system, which you get with GraphQL kind of makes more sense in that respect. But, but I, they're, they're doing the same thing as far as the way that client side developers think about the way that the server side is implemented. It's, it's a, just a different architecture than rest. And I think it's, I think it's a better way. Yeah. I think from that, like, it's just more fun. Yeah. So. Speaking of like Falcor and Jafar, I, I actually contacted him and I think we're going to have him on space dojo show probably in the next couple of weeks. So nice. Kind of excited about that too. I want to, want to dig in. Like I haven't looked at Falcor at all. So I, I like to use those podcasts as a way for like people to just give me some knowledge. Yeah. Um, yeah. Falcor is cool. Yeah. But. All right. Well, I think that is the end of the show. Just want to say a big thank you to Modulus for continuing to sponsor this show. If you're looking mm-hmm. for hosting, check them out, modulus.io. If you want to sponsor the podcast and all the other work I do on YouTube and that kind of thing, uh, you can go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Meteor Club. You can join the the club there. You can talk to Avi. You can talk to Ben Strahan. And you can talk to Ben. Do good. Yes. There. <laughs> <laughs> yep. We're in the Slack chat. So come hang out. Awesome. Well, thank you for uh, guest co-hosting. Really appreciate it, Ben. Yeah. Anytime. Yeah. And I know Avi was like under fire dealing with scaling issues. So hopefully he can get back to normal. We'll see him again soon. All right, guys. See you next time. See ya. This has been a Space Dojo production. You can find out more information about Space Dojo at spacedojo.com. It's easy to join the mailing list and stay in the loop. That's S-P-A-C-E-D-O-J-O dot com. <laughs>